0: chapter number 11 and um, I had this of course I wrote this outline expecting to preach to everyone in the congregation and have them raise their hands when I answer this ask this question so I'm just gonna if if you raise your hand on Facebook you know send a little wave say I can whatever uh, with this question but how many of you can speak uh, a different language maybe you speak, French or Chinese or even Chinese that's a hard one or Japanese or Korean or Spanish or anything like that how many of you can can speak a different language pretty well maybe not fluently but pretty well uh, I took four years of Spanish in high school uh, I spent three months as an exchange student in Puerto Rico uh, I spent five years working on the docks in Chicago uh, working with a lot of second generation Mexican immigrants who spoke English, but they primarily spoke Spanish with each other and sometimes with me, and so I can speak great Spanish, in my opinion. Uh, I really can't speak it that well. Uh, I think I can, but usually what I do is if I don't know a Spanish word, I just say the English word with a Mexican accent and hope that that gets through, uh, but I've had some some, some trouble with it. Um, for instance, we were down in Costa Rica, and... I was talking to some teenager or some kids in an orphanage, and I was introducing April, and I kept calling her uh, something in Spanish, Uh, my mamacita, which I thought meant, you know, my my girl, my wife, whatever. Uh, It means something very bad. And so every time I would call her that, they would giggle and laugh and come to find out it was a very bad word to call her. And so I think I can speak it, but I can't really speak it that well. Uh, I took two years of Greek while I was in college. I took one year of Hebrew. Uh, in college and uh, of course it wasn't to speak the language it was to read the language uh, and so now I, I use a lot of the uh, originals in my study I have a Greek New Testament I read to really see what the wording is and how the how it's broken down I look it up in the Hebrew but unless I have a concordance I really don't know what I'm reading so I, I still I've taken these languages I've used these languages but I don't really know these language, these languages but no matter if you can speak a language or not, every language that has ever been in the world has its roots found in Genesis chapter number 11. These, these different languages that the world has, they are a response from God to one of mankind's greatest acts of sin. This, this event had happened early on in the history of mankind and shortly after the flood on the, the plains of Shinar, which is in modern-day Iraq. And it is what is known as the Tower of Babel. Now, on the surface, reading the story, it doesn't seem that sinful. Hey, let's build a tower. I mean, what's wrong with building a tower? Uh, but it, it gives a glimpse into the root cause of sin. Not just their sin, not just the world's sin, your and my sin. It shows us why we sin when we do. It shows us why we struggle uh, conquering these, what we call besetting sins. And all of us struggle with sin, every single one of us, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been saved, no matter what your life is or where you came from. You struggle with sin just as much as everybody else. Now, your sin may not be the same as someone else's sin, but as we've seen before in this study, your sin in the eyes of God is just as wicked as everyone everyone else's sin. But this shows us where sin comes from in our heart. It shows us why sin has so much power over us and, and why we can't stop sinning even when we want to and even when we try. A lot of people feel like their life is a disappointment in one way or the other. Uh, maybe they're disappointed in their job. Maybe they're disappointed in their marriage. Maybe they're disappointed in their financial position. Maybe they're disappointed in the, the, their health and how their health has gone down over the last few years. This story, it shows us why we feel this way. It shows us the root cause in our heart that makes us feel disappointed in what, what we're going through and disappointed in our life. And God, it shows us that God, what he did in the Tower of Babel, he's still doing in our lives today. So get your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to start reading in verse number one. The Bible says, if I can get there, all right, it says, in the whole earth... Was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, east, that they found, sorry, that they found uh, a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, "Let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly." And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, "Go to, let us build us a city." And a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, there's a couple things for us to notice here in these first four chapters. The first thing we need to notice is their attempt to stay together. In verse 4, it says, uh, Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Their attempt to stay together in one place was an act of disobedience to God. God had told man three times in the book of Genesis to spread throughout the whole earth and to inhabit it and to to conquer it and to rule it and to, to multiply and to fill the whole earth with the presence of man. But they chose to stay in one place. They chose to disobey God. Now, we don't know why they made this decision. Uh, Maybe it was easier to stay together for resources and for food and hunting and protection. We don't know why. But they decided that what God had said was wrong and what they wanted to do was right. So they decided to stay together instead of obeying God and scattering. Now, here's a lesson for us. God always pushes his people to look outward. To multiply, to send, and to give. Sinful man always looks inward. Sinful man always says, this is what's best for me. This is what's best for my family. This is what's best for my life. But God always says we're not to look inward, we're to look outward and to share the gospel and to send people out and to give so people can go. We are not to look inward, but to look outward. That's one of the problems that I believe uh, the modern day church is facing, not just our church, but the church in general. Too many churches are focused on what they can do for the people that are in the church. And yet, we should have things for the folks in the church. We should have fellowships for them. We should have, of course, Bible studies where they can come together and, and learn and grow closer to God and grow closer to each other. But the main focus of the church shouldn't be what can we do for ourselves. It should be what can we do for the community? What can we do for the lost? What can we do for those who are not here with the purpose of bringing them in? But God wants us to go out. God wants us to spread the gospel. You know, we see this in the book of Acts 2. You know, God told the, book, the church in the book of Acts in Acts 2, he says, I want you to stay here in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And then once you've received the Holy Spirit, I want you to go out and I want you to proclaim the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and in the most parts of the world. God said, stay here till you get the Holy Spirit power, then go out and spread the gospel everywhere. Where They stayed, they prayed, they received the Holy Spirit, but they stayed in Jerusalem. And you can understand why. You can't blame them. Things were happening in Jerusalem. Man, they were seeing thousands of people saved. Uh, Every single day, they were seeing the church grow incredibly every week. Miracles were happening. Things were going on. And so it's it's a happening place in Jerusalem. And so they looked at it and said, look, they weren't looking for themselves. They were looking at the situation saying, man, we're doing so much good for God here in Jerusalem. Let's just stay here and continue to preach and continue to win souls and continue to do what we're doing here. But God had told them to leave. God had told them to do the same thing that was happening in Jerusalem all over the world. So he had to send persecution to send them out. That's what the stoning of Stephen is. It was the first persecution where the church finally said, well, maybe we shouldn't stay here. And after the stoning of Stephen, the the gospel spread throughout the whole known world and just a great work was done for God. They wanted to get glory for God, but they thought the best thing, best way to do that was to stay in Jerusalem where things were happening. But God had told them to leave. So even though they were doing good things, even though wonderful things were happening for God, they were disobeying God. He sent them out. And that's what we see at the Tower of Babel. The second thing we need to notice in these verses is why the people wanted, what they wanted when they stayed. They wanted a city. They wanted a tower to reach to heaven. And they wanted a great name. To put it another way, they wanted a place to belong. They wanted a significant life. And they wanted greatness. That's what God had already given them in the Garden of Eden. They had a home. They had a place to belong. And that place to belong was in perfect fellowship with God. That's where they With him. They had significance by doing God's will and tending to the garden and obeying God uh, and being sons and daughters of the king. And their greatness was found in God alone. But man had rejected God. Man had rejected what God wanted and what God had felt, had, had for them. So they felt naked. They... They felt stripped of everything. They felt alone and worthless. Sin is an attempt to find something, find in something or someone what we lost in God. It's an attempt to get back what we lost. That's why the tower was going to reach to heaven. Remember what Eve said in the garden? This fruit is good to, it's, it's good to the eyes. It looks like it's good to eat. And it will make me like God. That's what they want. They want to be with God. They're trying to get back something they had in God, but they lost. So here's what this story shows us about our sin. Number one, sin is our attempt to get back what we lost. What what they are trying to achieve, belonging, security, greatness, they're, they're not wrong. It's where they are looking for them that is wrong. We, ha- we haven't changed since the days of the Tower of Babel. We, we all want the same things. We want to belong somewhere. We want to have security. We want to have stability. We want to have safety. We want to be part of something. That's why family is so important. That's why a church family is so important. You know, I, I'm really concerned with the way our culture is going because of the coronavirus and everything. There are people that have have were faithful to our church, and were faithful to not just our church, but a lot of churches. They went every Sunday, but they will never go back. Pastors will never see them again because they've gotten comfortable worshiping God at home alone. Now, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing right now when we have to do it. I mean, right now the snow's on the ground, it's not safe for people to be out. So there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, today we're going to worship through technology. And I praise God that we have the ability to worship through technology, but it's not something we should do all the time because we need other people. We need to belong to a family and a family of God. That's why we want to be accepted into the right group in school. We we want to belong. We want to be accepted. We want security. That's why the, the the insurance industry is a $1 trillion a year industry. Insurance, I'm talking, you know, Geico and Allstate and life insurance and health insurance and all these things. They are a $1 trillion a year industry. Now, there's nothing wrong with having insurance. You should have insurance. Medical insurance, you should have that because... In our, in our society, if you have a major medical emergency, then you could go bankrupt trying to pay for it for yourself. So you need insurance. You know, there's nothing wrong with having health insurance to protect your family. When you're, if something should happen to you. Homeowner's insurance to help, you know, rebuild your home when it, when it, if something happens to a car. You know, there's nothing wrong with insurance. But sometimes people use insurance as a means to remove danger from their lives. And you can't do that. Security is what makes us spend so much time on our careers and making money so we can feel safe. Security is why a lot of people invest so heavily in the stock market. And again, there's nothing wrong with the stock market, except this week when, you know, a bunch of renters living in their parents' basement, you know, destroyed a couple hedge funds and people lost billions of dollars because of, the, of what they were doing. So you can't find your security there. I mean, a stock market can go up and down, and a guy named Potato Head uh, can ruin your life. So that's the true, true Redditor named Mr. Potato Head, billions of dollars this week and lost billions of dollars for other people because they were playing around with the stock market. So you can't really find security there. But we use these things to feel safe, to feel protected. We want our lives to matter for something, and that's, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with wanting your life to matter, to have significance in your life, but we look for significance in the wrong places. We look for significance with our jobs or our families or our successes. And the only way we'll find true significance is in relationship with God. We want to be connected to greatness. That's why so many people try so hard to get near celebrities or to know celebrities or to, to have a, a meeting with them. If you've ever known someone that has met a celebrity or gotten close to a celebrity, you know about it because they never shut up about it. I remember several years ago, we were door knocking here in Roanoke and there's a, a, a YouTube channel called the Super Carlin Brothers. They're they're a pretty big channel. They have a, you know, a couple million followers, so they're pretty big uh, in the YouTube industry. And I never thought uh, I would say people can make a ton of money on the YouTube. Industry. I remember when I was a kid, uh, you know, people would always say you're never gonna make money playing video games, you're never gonna make money doing it. I'm like, people are doing it now. But these these guys, they they do video game reviews and Disney reviews. But anyway, they're a big name in YouTube, and they live in Roanoke. And we were knocking doors, and I was knocking doors with Connor, and we knocked on this one door, and the guy opened, and it was one of these Super Carlin brothers. And Connor just stood there, just he was like, just in awe of this like twenty four year old geek who makes more money in a year than I'm going to make in my entire life talking about Disney movies. But it was a celebrity that he got the chance to meet. You know, wanting to belong, wanting security, wanting to be part of great something great. It's not wrong, but it's where we look for those things that is wrong. Jonathan Edwards compared it to enjoying a sunset on the beach. We find joy in the rays. We find joy in the colors that they make as they come through the atmosphere and come through the clouds and the oranges and the pinks and how it reflects off the water. We find joy in that, but it doesn't last because eventually the rays are gone. We're supposed to find our joy in the sun. He says the same thing with everything we try to find fulfillment on in earth. He said this. He said, fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or friends, these are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but the sacred beings. But God is the sun. These are but streams. But God is the fountain. These are but drops. But God is the ocean. Every tower that we build in our lives, whether it's trying to get significance or trying to find security or trying to find belonging, whatever tower we build in our life is just an attempt to get back what we lost in God. It's an attempt to find what can only be found in Him. Second thing it shows about our sin is our sin is rooted in pride. Look at verse number five. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. So, in verse five is a play on words right here. Read it again. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men build it. Man is trying to build a tower to God, and God says, let's go down and see what they're up to. We can never in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own talents, get to God. It's what it is in the Hebrew is a condescending language. Then he says in verse number six, he says that every form of evil will come from what they're trying to do. Why? Because if they continue to go down this path, they will think that they are great instead of realizing that God is the only one that is great. They'll be puffed up with pride. And that is the root of every sin we ever commit. It's pride. Instead of looking for what they needed, security, significance, and greatness in God... They are looking for it in themselves. They want to get it their own way. They want to get it for themselves and through their own strength so they can get the glory. Let's build a tower for ourselves to make a name for ourselves so everyone will look at us and see how awesome that we are. Sin is what I want instead of what God wants. In my strength, instead of God's strength. So I get the glory instead of him getting the glory. Sin's wickedness, it doesn't begin with the immorality of the act, but it begins with the heart behind the act. That's why God says this this tower is going to become an incredible source of pain and sin. Babel, if you read earlier on in chapter number 10, Babel, is a place that later becomes known as Babylon. Babylon is a symbol of man's opposition to God. Babylon, the nation of Babylon, becomes the epitome of wickedness and sin. Babylon becomes the one of Israel's greatest enemy. Babylon is a kingdom that destroys Jerusalem twice and takes Israel Captive In Revelation, Babylon is the symbol of man's united opposition against God at the battle of Armageddon. God says that every kind of sin, every kind of demonic influence is coming from there. Babylon represents the end of our sin, but it starts at Babel with pride. It starts with the heart that says, my will, not God's will. It's the root of every sin in our heart. It's what led Satan to fall in the first place. Where Satan said, I will be lifted up. I will exalt myself over God. I will be higher than him. He was wanting his will instead of God's will. Listen, you... You can do good things. You know, building a tower in and of itself is not a bad thing. You can can try to find significance and you can do good things with that. You can even go to church with that and try to serve God doing good things. But you can be so consumed with pride that what you're doing is sin. You can build a business in your own strength. You can try to raise a family in your own strength. You can even be religious in your own strength and your heart is closer to that of Satan than it is to someone who's a a prostitute. Because your heart says, I want the glory. I want to do this. This is for me, not for God. So going to church, building a ministry, reading all these things you can do so people look at you and see how great you are and you have a heart of Satan living inside of you. You can tell that you are walking in pride by how jealous you are of other people's towers. You're jealous over someone else's success, so you work hard to be more successful. You're jealous of how people think or talk about someone else and their walk with God, so you try to make yourself look holier. Pride is competitive. Proud people never get along. Look, drunks and drug addicts can get along with each other. They can fellowship and have fun together and do what they want to do together and not fuss and fight. But proud people always hate other proud people because their pride is always in conflict. Pride says it doesn't matter if I'm smart as long as I'm smarter than you. doesn't matter if I'm successful as long as I'm more successful than you. doesn't matter if I'm pretty as long as I'm prettier than you. It only matters that I am liked more and people think more of me. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, the more pride you have, the more you dislike pride in others. In fact, if you want to find out how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I like it when other people snub me or refuse to take any notice of me or to shove their oar in or patronize me or show off? To find out what's really going on in your heart, don't try to find out how moral you are. Figure out whose will you are living by. Are you living your will or are you living God's will? Whose strength are you relying on to meet each day? Are you trusting in your strength or are you trusting in God's strength? Whose glory are you most concerned about? Your glory or God's glory. If you do something for God and just a wonderful work in the ministry or wonderful work for God and people get saved or something incredible happens and people praise God instead of you or someone else gets the credit instead of you, are you angry about that? Like, hey, I did that. I need the praise. Or are you like, you know what? I'll, I did it for God and God got the praise and that's all that matters. Sin is always rooted in pride. Number three, the thing it says about, about our sin Is sin always disappoints us. Look at verse number seven. Go to, let us go down there and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left to build the city. So overnight, God invents new languages. Can you imagine the scene? You finish work on Tuesday, everything's going great. You go to work on Wednesday and you say, say to a guy, hey man, can you give me those bricks? And he's like, you do we're talking about you know, You don't understand him, he don't understand you. And you can't really know what's going on. And so the work just has to stop. What's interesting here is God doesn't tear down the tower. He leaves it. I've done a lot of research this week and there's a lot of people who believe they know where the Tower of Babel is located. If you zoom in on Google Images, you can actually see an outline of, of some circles of ancient ruins that are there still buried in the ground. That's that's where they believe the tower was. Now, I don't know if that's where the tower was or not. It, it really doesn't matter. What matters is God didn't destroy the tower. He left it there to show them where their sin takes them. He left it as a constant reminder. He could have let them continue building, but he didn't. He could have torn down the tower, but he didn't. He frustrates their attempt to try to get to him, and he tries to wake them up. Here, this is both judgment and mercy. He is showing them early on the disappointment their sin's going to bring to them before they get too far. Any judgment before ultimate judgment is mercy. You know, what disappointments do you have in your life? Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a drug addiction. Maybe it's a humiliation you've suffered. Maybe it's a lost job. These disappointments are a message from God to come back to him. You know, as children of God, and I've said this a lot, and I'll continue to say it, as a judge, as a child of God, we are not suffering the wrath of God for our sin because that was paid for on the cross. When Jesus came and he died on the cross and he hung on the cross, God poured his wrath for my sin and your sin out on Jesus, and so we will never, as children of God, if we're saved, we will never suffer the wrath of God for our sin, but we will suffer the judgment of God for our sin. Now, it's discipline, it's out of love, it is God's attempt to bring us back to Him. He's not just punishing us because He's mad. He's trying to bring us back into a relationship with Him. He's showing us that our sin will never satisfy. He's showing us that our sin will never do for us what we think it will. Judgment is mercy because it can wake you up before it's too late. Tim Keller, he says when we face disappointment from one of our towers, we have one of four different reactions. First of all, we blame the idol. We assume we, we chose the wrong thing. And so we try to pick something better the next time. Our marriage started out great, but it, it fell apart because she isn't the right person for me. And so I've changed. She hasn't. So I need something new. This old is not working. I need a new idol. Second thing we do is we blame ourselves. I just didn't try hard enough. Now, I'll, I'll do better next time. But next time doesn't work either. Or we blame the world. You give up on being happy and you can become a mean, cynical person who mocks everyone who is happy. You try to numb the pain of disappointment through alcohol or shopping or entertainment or pornography or illicit relationships, but you're blaming the world for you not being happy. Or we can realize that we were created for another world. You know, C.S. Lewis, he famously said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We want to be safe. We want to belong. We want to have a home. We want to have beauty and significance. We want to be connected to greatness. And all of that is found in God. Real quick, let's go to Psalms chapter 139. I have to I'm using a different Bible this morning. I don't not from. I mean, I'm still the King James, but it's a different layout, so I'm not used to it. Psalms one thirty nine. Starting in verse number 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue. But that, lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me beside and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me; it is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whether I shall go from my spirit, or whether shall I flee from my presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold. Thou art there. And look, I want to notice right there that the the psalmist here, he didn't say, if I find myself in hell or if I end up, he goes, if I make my bed in hell. If I reject you and I turn my back from you and I run from you, you're still there with me. Let's keep reading. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely thy darkness shall cover me, even the night shall light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as a day, and the darkness and the night are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. If I will, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous! are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did not see my substance yet being unperfect and in my book and in my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more to number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee so what is all that meant to show us god thinks of you all the time you are always on god's mind god always wants to be with you he he saw you in the womb he knows your days i mean he knows when you're going to die he knows how many hairs or on your head, when you ran from God, God comes looking for you. You want to be valued, you want to be accepted, you want to be approved of, you want to be known, you are all those things in God already. You are special to God. You matter to God. Your security is found in Him. Your significance is found in Him. All the other sins we have, they're going to disappoint you. They're going to let you down. You're not going to find what you're looking for. You only find what you're looking for in God. Here's the fourth thing that this story shows about our sin: God is building the only way to Him. Look at verse number nine, chapter number eleven of Genesis. Therefore, is the name of the city called of ba- the name of it called Babel, because God, the Lord, did confound there the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad on the face of the earth. Then look over at chapter 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. See what he's given him? I'm going to give you a city, I'm going to give you blessing. I'm going to give you a great name. All what they were looking for in Babel. God says, I'm going to give it to you, Abraham. They keep reading. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. See, Genesis 11 is the turning point of the entire Bible. Man is trying to get back what they lost. They're trying to find what they lost in the Garden of Eden. And they fail. Their tower is useless. So God builds his own tower for man. In Genesis 12, he starts in a strange place. He picks a frail old man with a barren wife to begin building this tower back to God. He's showing us that the way back to him is not through human strength. It's through God's strength alone. He tells Abraham, "Now I'll give you a home. I'll give you significance. I'll make your name great. I will do through you what you cannot do for yourself. God promises that all the people who were scattered in chapter 11, all the people whose language was confounded, they spread out across the entire world, that through Abraham, through God's strength, He's going to bring all those people back together, praising God. Look over in Revelation chapter seven. And we're flipping a lot of Bible. Well, Bible's good, amen? amen. Revelation chapter seven. I want to show you something awesome here. We see also this a glimpse of this in the book of Acts, uh, and we'll, we'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, Revelation chapter seven, starting at verse number nine, <clears throat> it says, "After this, I beheld, and lo." A great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, and kindreds, and people, and what? Tongues. Tongues. People from every nation, people from every land, people from every language. The ones he scattered, the ones he sent away at Babel. This is the people he's talking about. Um, And every tongue stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hand, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. All those who were scattered have been gathered together, and they're singing glory to God, not glory to themselves. Abraham, God accomplishes through his spirit what we can never accomplish in our strength. Abraham couldn't have children. He was old when God talks to him in chapter 11 and chapter 12. He's even older when he finally has children. He's 99 before he has a child. Abraham can't have children. His wife is barren, but God gave them to him. We could never live a perfect life. So Jesus did it for us. We can't pay for our sins. God did that for us. We can't conquer death. Jesus did that for us. He he died in our place for our sins and rose again so that we one day would rise and be with him for eternity. And we can only do it through him alone. You know, each of us we have one of two towers that we are building in our life. One is a monument to Our greatness. This one's going to fail. It's going to disappoint us. It's never going to give us what we're looking for. Or we're building a tower. God is building a tower through you that can have eternal significance. It's a strong tower of refuge that we can run to and be saved. And you can only build one tower at a time. You can't build your tower and God's tower together. You're either building for yourself. You're either building for yourself or you're building for God. So which tower is being built in your life? Whose will are you doing? Are you doing your will or his will? Do you you see what you have as belonging to God or belonging to yourself? Are you building for your kingdom or are you living out his missions? Here's the thing. You cannot be living out his mission if you are not involved in the mission of a local New Testament church. Coming to church isn't enough. You have to be involved in a growth group so you can draw closer to God and closer to others. You have to be giving to the ministry and the mission of the church. You have to be part of sharing the gospel to the lost. God may be trying to get your attention today. He may be showing you a tower that you are building that's going to disappoint you. Mercifully, he is showing you that sin disappoints so that you can learn that only God eternally satisfies. What tower are you working on today?